This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is the two mats for week ending Friday, the 12th of October. A dissenting voice, but also a voice for positive change. And what voices? What do you sound like matt who do you sound like you a man of many voices when you want to a man of a thousand voices <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately this this week it's it's got to be a slightly somber voice because yeah. um, we talked about israel and then we um talked to the brilliant fiona miller about um education and the labor conference um yeah. i guess it's been a podcast about Going back to first principles, really. It, uh, yeah, and it's a serious one. Um, so a bit of a content warning. There are some graphic descriptions of violence, I'm afraid, uh, but that's because we have woken up into a particularly violent era right now, I'm afraid. So check the show notes for more details on that. What are we going to call the uh, episode this week? Um, horror and Hope or... Back to Square One. Back to Square One. Let's call it that. Back to Square One. Very apt. So, this is The Two Mats, episode 17, Back to Square One. So, Matt, unfortunately, only one real topic to open the show with this Uh, week. Yeah, and it's an appalling one, And, and I guess... My first reaction on Saturday as news started to filter through was um, horror, but also a sense of mild dismay because I think there are some horrors of a scale that need, in the first instance, just to be reported upon and apprehended and considered in and of themselves. So, you know, without recourse to yes, but, or, you know, this is Netanyahu's fault or it's a terrible failure of intelligence, though it may well be, um, 
you know, it, it, this is the, more Jews died on Saturday than on any day since the Holocaust. Yeah, wow. it's a huge historic tragic day, and I think it's really important, probably for a bit actually, to treat this in sequence and deal with that because, um, you know, after all, on September the twelfth, you didn't have lots of people saying. Um, this is all the fault of the American intelligence community and it's high time that George W. Bush got round a table with Osama bin Laden, e- yeah. even though questions of that character were asked later on. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we were recording this on Thursday. It's less than a week since and body bags are still being filled. Yeah. Um, it's it's important to get the measure, I think, first of the of the sheer horror of what's happened. I, th- I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what's... Um Maybe part of the kind of reason that we've got all these different voices at the moment speaking in what seems to be quite incoherent and and, and, and confused manner about what the proper response is to what's just happened is that there is, I think, I'm probably speaking for myself in that this has been going on for so long and it's so complicated and so confusing that there's a kind of automatic margin of like I don't know what it's confusing and there are different forces at work here and I know that there's no 100% bad guys and 100% good guys it didn't happen in isolation like September the 11th happened in isolation boom out of this clear blue sky it feels like it's 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 risen out of a chronic a persistently chronic problem and therefore a lot of people are going oh my god uh this is awful, but it's it has been awful for a long time. This is now even more awful. And then there are people who are entrenched in camps on either side yes. who are using it as as capital, frankly, you know. Um, and, and you're right that that one at such moments people rely on a kind of lazy muscle reflex, muscle memory, right? And they revert to. So you know, had people tweeting saying this is what decolonization looks like. Right? No, it, it isn't. I always think it's helpful in these sort of situations to work out what it isn't. Mm-hmm. So um, I went to see Golda, the new movie about the Yom Kippur War and Golda Meir this year, which which is interesting. It's 73. This coincided with the 50th anniversary. Right. of. And in fact, this is totally different to Yom Kippur. It's not tanks rolling into the Sinai or across the Golan Heights. It's It was, nor was it the, another intifada. You know, we, I think our generation was very, very influenced by the intifadas, plural, and the sight of young, desperate Palestinian youths throwing rocks at um, yeah. Israeli troops marching towards That's them. Right. This was not that. This was hyper-modern terrorism. Mm. and ISIS-style. ISIS-style. You know, yeah. this was against civilians and, crucially, advertised on social yeah. media, which yeah. is a really, really big and important detail. Yeah. You know, even the Nazis tried to conceal what they'd done to the Jewish people. And I think what... People I've spoken to in Israel during the intervening time find truly unbelievable is that I think they feel that you had to go to social media to find out what was happening because the mainstream media was was lagging behind and rather like The Guns of August by Barbara Tuchman, that great book about the First World War, fighting the last war or wars before. And this is a really, really, this is a very modern uh, conflict that we're now observing. You have Hamas, who are a Islamist force that is clearly prepared to do 
anything as and in fact wants to be as brutal as it possibly can and has been backed by iran and you know yes of course there'll be a as there was after the yom kippur war uh, the agronat commission after that there will be a big inquiry into what went wrong why why was the why were the security services sleeping you know what what what, what went wrong but it also shows that one netanyahu's big um mistakes was to under underestimate hamas because there was real tradecraft involved in this incursion you know there, there was cyber warfare of some kind there were drones there was fucking people paragliding in immaculate planning you know, you know but th- also go, you know like that, that festival i think which is probably one of the things that has touched uh more people you know t- 260 young people dancing away in a festival site people going in like a fucking video game slaughtering them yes uh and videoing it and showing the clips of dead bodies on social media and stuff like this this is absolutely beyond the pale of humanity isn't it i mean i think that the nova ray where you said as you said 260 people were killed and then the horrors that are still emerging from the kfaaza kibbutz yeah, where yeah, yeah. you know we know that at least 40 babies were murdered in their cribs yeah and on that point right so this is how weird the conversation has become in this country, I think, is that you've got people who are, you know, either very pro-Palestinian. There was a there's a woman who works for a, an independent media site. I won't name her or the site because uh, she's since apologised for it. And she immediately tweeted, "This is a day of celebration." Right. Three days later, she apologises and say and says, "I think under some pressure from her colleagues, saying, I, you know, I got that wrong, blah blah blah." So sorry about that. Okay, three days, well done. But in another tweet, somebody said, oh, you're celebrating the decapitation of babies, are you, you heartless so-and-so, right? And then she, in response, retweeted something saying, a piece of intelligence saying that maybe they weren't beheaded, right? No, that's a lie, you know? And I thought, this is what you've come to now. Where the argument is over. You're claiming the moral high ground because of whether the babies were shot in the face or decapitated. The means by which babies were killed becomes the area of contestation. Something has gone very badly wrong. It it is madness. It's, It's decadence and madness. And it worries me immensely because whatever else comes out of this, um, the stakes are hugely high and obviously they're primarily high for um the the people of israel and they're going to be high and indeed they already are for the palestinians who are uh you know ruled by hamas you know uh, and haven't had an election since 2006 that you know there's going to be huge consequences for them um but also you know there's part of me that hopes the wall street journal is wrong and that iran was not the force planning this although i have to say you know the history of hamas is such that it would be odd if tehran was not involved because but they have to be they have to be because they and therefore the 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 capacity for escalation in this crisis you know not to speak of what will happen as a direct consequence of the the massacres immediately is huge and geopolitical and by the way thank god we've got Joe Biden as president of the US right now and not Donald Trump. Well, exactly. Because we'd be deep into axis of evil territory by now. And 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 flailing around. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. is there is I have to say a 
I'm told, quite a division at the apex of the US administration between Biden, who's a kind of old school pro-Israel Washington old hand, right? Yeah. And his response is, this this will not stand, this is wrong. And he mobilizes the new aircraft carrier, the Gerald Ford, yeah. and uh, about uh, you know, a whole range of F-15s and F-16s into theater. Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has gone to Israel to try and calm things down, things down because his view, much more than Biden's, is that you know the, the, the if this escalates to Hezbollah in the north, yeah. if this brings Iran in, if the um, the kind of the regional um, you know still fragile peace of the Abraham Accords with Bahrain and the UAE and thawing relations with Saudi falls to pieces which I think is one of the primary objectives of this assault there is uh, there is the scope for this to degenerate into something that goes way beyond the borders of Israel and the and 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 the West Bank and Gaza so you know we we we're watching a very very dangerous arc which is Biden pulls out of Afghanistan you know, and his his message to the world is America is no longer the policeman of the world. I want to withdraw from wars and not end them. You know, it's a benign version of Trump's flailing. Yeah. And, and indeed of Obama's. Yeah. Um, but there's now a war in Ukraine and Zelensky is now competing yeah. with Israel for Patriot Missiles. Very Zelensky. bad news Great for news for Putin, this. Um, you have Putin, uh, we already know, helping with the cyber attacks. And, uh, you know, uh, we know he has close relations with Iran and so on. Um, so the West is, whether it likes it or not, suddenly involved in a two-theatre war to some extent. It's not fighting directly yet mm. in either um uh, conflict but it is yeah. facing that so suddenly you know people were talking about American isolationism with reason now we're looking at, 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 at you know new forms of 21st century warfare um, that are sprouting up all over the place and the the stakes are, are way beyond you know what does this mean for a two-state solution I mean I'm afraid the answer to that is nothing good and I I was I said to someone last night that you know i i i now i'm 55 i now wonder if the which i didn't until saturday whether there would be a two-state solution in my lifetime which yeah. is a very melancholy reflection what yeah. happens it, i mean it, the timing of it is you know weird as well because of course israel was talking to saudi arabia exactly about, yeah you know putting you know things were moving forwards in a in a kind of very glacial as ever way but there was there, there was progress being made and and this of course uh, has completely pulled the rug from, and was designed to everybody's feet and but it just seems like i know this is such a, a an inane observation but the people who are really screwed now are the people who are the civilians in gaza you know they are you know now they are going to reap the whirlwind in some way shape or form it's entirely understandable. Well, I, I would but say, how does Ham, how does Hamas coexist with well, with people in their now, now? Now we're at the bone, I think, which yeah. is that civilians on either side of the of of, of the line are yeah. living in an intolerable situation. Which is the whole point of the state of Israel is it's the place where Jewish people can go to be safe. Yes, Israeli citizens more than at any point I think since Yom Kippur and possibly before really don't feel that 
Jews living outside Israel aren't feeling that. You know, there are horrible stories of, of um, people at Jewish schools taking off their blazer. Yeah, um, not wearing the kippers. Kippers, you know, you know and, and so on. Um, so that's them. Yeah. And, you know, they are still mourning their dead. And we don't know the, the, the death toll yet. On the other side, the Palestinian people are faced with a serious problem, which is there is no way that Israel is not going to take well it is taking very strong action already yeah. and it and that is that's a given you know it, it's it's going to happen well, they're talking about leveling the place right people living in tents in Gaza. right that'll be right like, so yeah. the, the question is is there a way of and this does involve international assistance even if it's covert is there a way of let's put it politely removing hamas from the equation yeah. in the way that ISIS was removed, at least for now, from the equation in 2019. I don't know the answer to that. So, I mean, but that would involve... I mean, I heard talk about, oh, America's going to send in bunker buster bombs to wipe the tunnels out and all. But you can't do that without destroying entire that, the, neighbourhoods. The, 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 pro- the problem is that, as, as you imply, is that what Hamas has done is it's, it's, it's infiltrated the whole of... The, you know uh, Gaza yeah. literally and it's figuratively the entire place right. it's a contagion so you know um, the, the, they have they have hidden weaponry and, and so on in, in in areas of high population and it's yeah. most parts of Gaza are high population density how do you how do you uh, take decapitate the Hamas leadership without um, killing hundreds of thousands of of yeah. Palestinians of innocence, yeah. query you know I, I mean one thing that could that could be done and, and this is a this is a huge diplomatic ask but a large part of the Hamas leadership is in Qatar yes and we saw What's the relationship there that's well so, that's so strange it is very strange because on the one hand Qatar wants to you know normalize relationships with Israel but on the other it's playing host to you know the, we saw that that extraordinary shot of Hamas leaders in suits yeah in Qatar celebrating the attacks you know, all of those should be extradited and tried at The Hague. Yeah. Um, will they be? Probably not. But that's the kind of imaginative step that the international community could take. Because Israel now has a situation where, far from thinking Netanyahu went too hard, they're saying he didn't go hard enough. That's right. Um, and I, I don't think this is necessarily good news for Netanyahu strategically, but tactically it's enabled him to form a government of national unity and for the time being he's in charge he will direct the hostilities yeah. so we have to work with that yeah um and you know he is not a he's not a patient or a forgiving man and he's under huge pressure from a population that says but you said you could contain hamas yeah and you messed up mate yeah. and he didn't yeah so the 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 stakes on every level are enormously high and that's why, just to circle back to where we started, I think it's incredibly important for those of us sort of analysing it, looking at it, not to retreat into ideological comfort zones. Because as you say, it's, there's huge complexity and there's also novelty in this. You know, it is, it's good. Or, if in doubt, I was saying, journalism, report. You know, yes. look at the facts on the ground yes. rather than apply, yeah. you know, your the ideology that 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 might have made sense in the second intifada um or when um you know uh, sharon was withdrawing from gaza back in 2006 and there are too many people i think who are in our profession 
who are using this as a moment to to make some dogmatic case for it's not why football. they've been right for a long time. It's, it's not, not football. a fucking football it's game. It's not a football That's right. game. That's right. It's not a football game. Okay, well, on that note, uh, I, hope that's, note. I hope that's not been too depressing. We're going to move on to um, the next half where we're going to talk to the brilliant Fiona Miller about education. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're delighted to be joined this week by Fiona Miller, education activist, mm-hmm. campaigner, activist. and journalist, mm-hmm. regular Welcome. writer for Welcome. The Guardian, yeah. Thank you. and occasional writer for The New European. Yeah. like that to yeah. be a bit yeah. more regular, please, Fiona. <laughs> yeah. This week, we've had Keir Starmer's speech, uh, which I, I thought was excellently delivered mm-hmm. and, you know, had a lot of good stuff in it. A big part of it was about education. Mm-hmm. You wrote a big piece in The Guardian in... Actually, should we have a quick uh, taste of that? That's right? a good yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Let's have so a let's taste of to... Keir's speech. Sir Keir's speech. Sir Keir. You know, I never thought I would hear a modern Conservative Prime Minister say that 50% of our children going to university was a false dream. My dad felt the disrespect of vocational skills all his life, but the solution is not and never will be the levelling down of working-class aspiration to go to university. So there he is talking about universities. We'll we'll touch on that as well, but obviously the education system in the UK has chronically been a problem. Mm. You wrote a great piece in The Guardian Mm. in August, I think, Mm -hmm. saying, you know, what Labour should be doing Mm. about education. How much of what Keir Starmer said answered those points you were making? And and what should he do? What should he do to fix education in the UK? 
Well, I, I had some specific proposals for him, but I think what I was trying to say was that there were a lot of very atomized proposals, like a bit of oracy here, a bit of tech there, a bit of this digital, but didn't add up to a kind of coherent narrative about... And I think the speech did have a coherent narrative about what he was about, and explaining a bit about this class ceiling. Although, interestingly, I spoke at a head teach conference two weeks ago and I said, does anybody here know what Labour's education slogan is? And nobody had a clue. So there's a bit of work to be done to kind of ram that home. And the way you do that is by repeating it, but with some very clear proposals to go alongside it. And I think, you know, I agree with both of the things he was saying there. University should always be an aspiration for everybody. But the inequality between academic qualifications and technical qualifications has always bedeviled the English system. And I'm not quite sure that we're there yet with the solutions to that particular problem. And I want to know more about what Labour's really going to do, because it's all very well saying we're going to have technical colleges, etc, etc. But if you hold up the A-level as the gold standard, most kids will think that's the thing they should go for. I mean, that's what I was going to ask you if you knew about mm. that, was um, my very first job, uh, staff job in uh, on a newspaper was as an education correspondent mm. and he, you know this is early 90s and mm. back then minister tory ministers were talking about parity of esteem between technical and vocational qualifications on the one hand mm. and um a levels and university on the other and here we are and it, it hasn't happened no. is it i mean it requires doesn't it a, a massive cultural shift both in government and beyond yeah. I mean, it's it's almost comic if you go back and look at the number of qualifications that have been technical qualifications that have been invented since the Second World War. I mean, you probably can't remember the names of all of them, but there there are loads. Every T, few, T levels. T, well, that's the recently. latest one. You know, yeah. BTEX, TVI, you know, every so often somebody invents a new one. Nobody can remember them. They don't last very long, but the A-level rolls on and on and on. Um, so I think that is a problem. But that's why in the piece I was also saying that I'm very attracted to this baccalaureate idea although yeah. somebody says to me oh, that polls very badly with the public because they think it's foreign well it is a kind of foreign word but the idea that you have a kind of group toward you know a diploma at 18 which a lot of countries do a final qualification and within that you can have an academic or a vocational qualification so nobody will say oh you've got academic or you've got vocational they say you've all got your diploma but people will have diplomas to a different level and they will incorporate different things just explain that because i'm unfamiliar with the baccalaureate systems yeah. but and i until you said that i was assuming it was one kind of examination or something that you had to pass but you could as a student if i am more inclined towards something that's going to be vocational i can choose that to be my yeah. baccalaureate is that is that well the, the best idea? known one is the international baccalaureate and that specifically was set up after the second world war and it was to include things like citizenship and you know humanity and lots of broader aims for for people um and that i find very attractive but that's quite an academic model but i mean it, theoretically you could create a baccalaureate which is really a grouped award which is just a sort of label that holds within it lots of other qualifications including whatever you wanted and i, th I mean you'll remember the mike tomlinson proposals in 2004 and that was for a diploma it's going to take 10 years to bring it in yeah. and that diploma would have included academic and vocational qualifications and so much more you know dance creativity civic action whatever you wanted to put in it um but you know the, it, the first headline was oh you know blair's going to get rid of the gold standard a level and everybody took fright and they didn't do it we could have been there by now but here we are again and now, it, and now sunak's got his advanced british standard, standard. Which is, <laughs> nobody knows what that means well either. i think it, that answer it, it, it's in response to your point about people for some reason finding the word baccalaureate um uh, foreign. You know, alarmingly <laughs> foreign which yeah. is a bit worrying um we didn't vote for Brexit. So no, that's right. We need to have a look at our to have escargot. Um, but it, I, I suppose one of the things that, as always, at a Labour conference um, that precedes an election, there's a lot about aspiration. Mm -hmm. And I, it seems to me that one of the problems with that word um, is that it 
it tends to come across as actually A levels in university and mm. professional life. That's aspiration. in the UK. It does yeah. in the in the UK and how you change the meaning of that mm. word so that you can aspire to yeah. be you know a fantastic you know a person in a trade or in a, in a in a, mm. in a, in a vocation. Um, it sounds like a small detail, but actually it seems to me a, a big lift that mm. because because A levels are still seen as you know, what every mm. young person should aspire to. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very, very difficult, which is why ultimately I think you've got to get rid of GCSEs and A-levels and just have one final qualification. That's the only probably way you'll do it. But on the transition to that would be to include all the qualifications under one final yes. award, as it were. And I think that I, mean, I think it was a little bit disappointing that when Sunak floated his baccalaureate idea, Labour immediately came in, well, we are in an election year, said, oh, that's rubbish, we can't do that because we don't have enough teachers. Well, that's true, but in theory with the right investment and the right structure, you could do it. And I think Labour should, if they wanted to have an imaginative way forward that would resolve this problem, they should be thinking about that. We don't need GCSEs. They were invented for Nero when kids left school at 16 and they don't do that anymore. On the subject of... Even the guy who invented them, Ken Baker, is in favour of... Yes, of 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 on the subject of investment in schools, Hmm. um, you know, we've just had the the whole RARC Hmm. uh, concrete scandal... Uh, it's obvious that the public estate in schools and elsewhere is in desperate condition. Mm. We, are, we are going to need investment. Mm. Now, Starmer's kind of mantra throughout mm. this conference was, yes, but that investment is going to come from growth. And he said on the Victoria Derbyshire show, or Laura Koonsberg show with Victoria Derbyshire standing in, that he, he was very confident that this could happen very quickly. Um, do you think? Do you think that the fact of a Labour government will lead to growth is that enough to satisfy you or what do you think about that well i don't think the growth is going to come quickly to resolve the school's funding crisis i mean as a governor of several schools yes i can tell you that schools are going to deficit now right once they're going to deficit and that's only on the revenue side that's not on the capital side which is a whole different part of the school budget um so i i mean hopefully labor will get more growth but you know you're not going to get more growth unless you resolve this situation of technical and, and skills education because you've got to get more productivity. And at the moment, we're just not turning out the sort of young people who are going to go and do those jobs and do them in a very productive way in the way that other countries do. And that's because our education system still considers, you know, a degree in classics at Oxford, the ultimate, you know, hallmark of aspiration. What's changed? I, I didn't go to university. And <laughs> Good for you. I, well, well, not, I mean, I wanted to. Yeah, but I mean, to, you've got I, a long way in life, so it does yeah, prove But, but what can... happened in, instead was I left school at, uh, after doing dismally at my mm. A-levels and then became a cub reporter on a mm. newspaper and spent four years learning mm. newspaper trade. Mm. And that was my university degree, if you like. Mm. Why is it, what's changed? There was no, my point is there was no stigma then about not going to university. It was a nice thing. Yeah. People were very proud of it, but nobody thought you'd failed if you didn't. Now I think when I think about my kids going through A-levels, I wouldn't want to put a burden on them, but I would think, oh, well, that's a shame. They haven't gone to university. Mm. What's changed in the national psyche that university has become this? this well, we must-have. made that the aspiration, didn't we? And I think Tony Blair made that the aspiration in particular. And I, I agree with that. When I went to university, only 10% of the population went to university. Right. 
Um, and that really has changed. There is an expectation. I think. And then I think Michael Gove came along and he had this thing called facilitating subjects. I don't know if you remember that particular period where you had to do these facilitating subjects at A-levels. Otherwise, you wouldn't get into the good universities. In fact, that wasn't strictly true. But I used to hear kids walking down the street, you know, sometimes working class kids I know from my community saying, well, I've got to have a facilitating subject in my A-levels. <laughs> so everybody was being, everything was being recalibrated all the time yeah. with this sort of political rhetoric, which was really part of a game. It wasn't necessarily in the best interest of the of the young people. But I think we shouldn't forget the social and emotional benefits of going to university. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of parents and young people now see that as an opportunity to then be able to go somewhere and, and grow up a bit and have some yeah. time to grow up and have other experiences, meet other people. I'll just tell you one story because you'll like this, but this friend of ours who comes from the northwest of England and he, everybody in his community, he says, is so pro-Brexit and he can't get on with any of them. And he said the thing that changed him was going away to university right. and meeting people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. Yeah. And it opened his horizons. And so I think there is more to it than simply getting a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who wants to do it should do it, but anybody who doesn't want to do it should have an equally valid path going ahead. But I think, you know, we're so far away from that now in our education system, unfortunately. So that's not going to change very quickly. The, I, I, I mean, now there's a stigma attached to not going which seems to me to be absolutely repulsive and, and also absurd. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it troubles me because mm. what it means is because it's so culturally entrenched now, uh, kids who don't go to university automatically feel mm. that they're less than, that their prospects are mm. bleak. Mm. And to a certain extent... Well, their economics it would say that they are That's bleak. right. And it's, but it's got to the point now where you have to have a degree... Um, to get a, a an above living wage job, mm. and that's the Work worst possible. That's a right, but that's a, a, a that's a, the worst possible reason to go to university mm. is simply to reach sort of the bottom rung of the mm. economic ladder. I mean, the points you mentioned, Fiona, are, are good reasons, but that's not how it's that's not what it's become. No, it's no. become, oh my god, if I don't go to university, mm. you know, I'm going to I'm going to flatline. Mm. Um, mm. And somehow that needs that tide needs to be turned. Not least because we need an economy that has many mm. uh, skills and mm. functions, not just people. Mm. Who, you know, I read history, you know, um, at university, and and I enjoyed it. It served me well, but I can't honestly say that it. it other than sort of in that sense of I've got a degree. Well, it, it helps you to think, doesn't it? Yes, it way. does. It does. Does and, that and explain the clear difference between the thinking? Can I tell you that I, when I was a graduate trainee journalist, it was just when the journalism was changing from the people, the, the route that you took yeah. to graduates. And yeah. I was one of three graduates, I think, in the newsroom of the Daily Express in the early right. 1980s. So I was working for yeah. four years with people who'd gone through your route. They were way, way smarter and more but, well, but, savvy I mean, and streetwise and funnier. And, yeah. Well, I mean, I would point yeah. out, if there are any young people listening to this podcast, right, that I went to a university and then became a fellow of an Oxford college, right, and I worked for MAP in the enlightened despotism enlightened despotism that is the new European, right? That's so kids, right. you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid. The reason that's still the case is because we don't have the other routes that have status. Yeah. And so all these politicians are talking, until you get... The colleges have got status, they've got the funding, they've got the teachers. We just don't have the teachers to teach any of these things. T-levels, most of them can't get off the ground because there aren't enough people to teach them. We haven't yeah. got enough teachers to teach, you know, pre-sixth form as maths at the moment, or physics, or, you know, geography. So it's all a bit pie in the sky. And I think, so when I hear all this talk, I think it's, and on one level I think it's great, but it's so far removed from the day-to-day -day problems that schools are facing. So in a way, you've got to kind of deal with those basics too and have a bigger aspiration to create a different system. You, you, you were 
kind of you know you you saw the new Labour government at first hand mm. up close, and how it mm. the move from opposition to to government, mm. which is obviously huge. Mm. When you were watching this this week, we were watching mm. Starmer. Did you feel okay? So we all know that they're playing. They're, they're trying to build a, a sense of bubbling hope yeah. without frightening the horses, and we all get that. But did you feel underneath the kind of um, playing it safe, there is a kind of there is a coiled spring which will leap into action and do the kind of things you're talking about? So we had, for example, when Rachel Reeves said that this was the end of globalisation as we know it, I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, mm. remembering Blair in 05 mm. saying, you know, as summer goes into autumn, there's mm. there's no getting away from globalisation. Mm. I paraphrase. So that you know, that's a change. But is it, or is it, is that just a, is it just a clever line? I don't think I've seen enough kind of interesting ideas to come out to feel confident that it's going to be a bubbling spring. It could be. But I don't think I've seen that. Until this week, I hadn't really got a sense from Keir, really, about where he was going, I don't think. And he would admit that. You know, he's gone his three stages of development and the third one is, you know, why labour? Um, I don't feel that policy is, you know, interesting policy ideas. Are, I think they're interested in winning, which is great. Of course, you need to win first before you have the policy ideas. But I worry that what will happen in government, you could easily get sunk into a sort of quagmire of just trying to firefight all these problems that do exist, and they are many, not that there weren't problems in 97 in education, there were there were serious problems, but mm. a lot of them were to do with investment. But actually, if you go through Labour's period in office, I mean, the, I, the stuff they came out with on education was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal sort of... But you had people like Blunkett driving it through yes. and Adonis driving it through. I mean, they just... Some of it I didn't agree with, but some of it was fantastic. And then Gove came in and just basically picked it all apart. Do you think um, Starmer's team understands that in, in office being sensible won't be enough that the challenges of the moment are so dramatic and radical and global and new that just being not Tory being sensible being reassuring as important as all that is and welcome as that would be mm. is necessary but not sufficient well I mean it could be enough I mean so people say to me oh, it's fine people will just be happy to have somebody who's boring and competent initially maybe yeah. they will be initially but I tend to, I think that the, I really think we've got to such a bad place in this country on so many areas and it wasn't like that in 97, that it, it's just not going to cut it. It's I mean, got to be high action, and I'm afraid it's going to have to be investment too. I don't see how you solve some of these problems without pouring money into them. No, I, and, don't and, agree, I don't see it. And and that will involve inevitably borrowing to invest, and I think at some point wealth taxes, but yeah. I understand why. Mm. Well, I'm always in favour of a wealth tax. But when I hear people say, and I hear a lot of governors say, oh, you know, the election, you know, let's just leave it to next year because there'll be an election, you know. They will come in. What do they think is going to happen? Nothing very dramatic that's going to change your local school, I don't think, very quickly. I mean, it could do ultimately, but because the, the, the situation there, particularly with teacher recruitment, that is a massive problem. People never talk about it. I mean, a country that cannot recruit enough people to teach its children is failing, in my view. And yeah. we haven't got enough people. I met a teacher the other day and who worked in a school where they teach, they've got somebody who hasn't got a GCSE maths teaching GCSE maths. I mean, would you put up with that for your kids? Is no. that to do with remuneration or the conditions of work or accommodation conditions of work yeah Yeah. i mean there is serious problem with recruitment they're not even coming into the graduate pathways now but they're not they're often not staying beyond four or five years and that's all to do with offset and the pressure and the you know tick boxes and all the things we hear about all the time but never get resolved but if you got rid of GCSEs and went to a baccalaureate, you see, yes. you could open up that whole period of secondary education and take all that, change that accountability and open it up to other things like, you know, 
drama and music and art and obviously you've got to do maths and English and your other subjects and have some form of assessment but who needs to do 11 exams at 16 it's mad one of the other topics that he's touched on is private schools and the government's relationship and attitude towards private schools and talking about putting VAT on school fees is that enough? Does that what problem does that solve? Well, I, I mean, I, a bit more probably around? not. But I think in the grand, if you see them as part of a system rather than as new, some newspapers like to see them as the biggest thing in the world, you know, it's going to ruin the private system. Well, I mean, it's only a tiny little cog in the whole education system, isn't it? And I think it's quite a good way to deal with that, and it sends a signal to people that we're more on the side of the ninety-three percent than the seven percent. I don't think it's going to make that much difference. And I don't think it's worth the political energy of going any further. And then, so are you saying actually there's a bigger problem if you're looking at egalitarianism in well, education? Well, didn't Gordon Brown want to, he want to equalise funding between state and private schools? I remember him saying yeah. that at one point. I remember thinking that would be like the fourth road bridge that his house overlooks. You know, you just get across to the other side, the private schools will put the fees up and you yeah. have to come all the way back yes. and do it again. But is, is the bigger problem then the, the sort of almost random difference between state schools? In, in it's, it's more than I mean the trouble is it's when I was at school it wasn't that big a difference yeah and in the Blair years it wasn't that big a difference now it's a yawning gap how has that happened then because they put their fees up and up and up and they they can attract no their, I, I, no I didn't yeah. mean that I meant the difference between state schools and mm. the different ways that you have to apply to get your kid into state schools mm. and the the sort of the different um, uh, application processes that mean that some people living near to an excellent state yeah, yeah, school yeah, get true. get an that's equivalent of a case, private yeah. education. Some parents living near to yeah. a, a rubbish school get a crap education. Yeah. How, when we're talking about the go- what's in control of the government to to fix, yeah. surely that equalising the quality of education. Well, I mean, you, I mean, I've schools. always been. That's why I've always been in favour of comprehensive education. I mean, you've got to have a. You should be moving towards a system where most schools had a more evenly banded intake of pupils. Right. So, you well, didn't how, have these, so how do you get that? How do well, you how, get rid of the grammar schools? Yeah. You stop the faith schools doing all their, you know, bell ringing tests and whatever. And, <laughs> you know, you stop these academies who can then set their own yeah. admissions criteria. So they pick certain primary schools. Yeah. All that needs to be cleaned up. All yeah. that needs to be cleaned up. And personally, I would say that no school can be outstanding. Although I know off. Labour are getting rid of the, they say they're getting rid of the Ofsted grades, which I agree with. But if no school should be outstanding unless it has an intake that represents its local community. Right, right. Because you've got fantastic discrepancies between schools that are literally half a mile apart. No, totally. I mean, we're going through it. We've been going through it, you know, for for years now. But there are two or three schools in our area that you're desperate to get into. But the criteria for each of those schools are different. Yeah. And it just feels... That's diversity, you see, in It's action. weird, yeah. It just feels weird. Well, that's to, another problem. Yeah. But that, as I say, when you get... There is so... School segregation in this country, particularly in cities, is a serious problem. But yeah. and that's another thing to tackle. There was a, a pr- very good primary school in there I used to live in where the primary catchment area was 110 metres. Mm. And the houses in that area had at least a £50,000, probably now £100,000 premium. premium. Mm. Because, so in fact, the intake was mm. um, overwhelmingly middle mm. to upper middle class. Yeah. Um, that can't be right, obviously, but it, but it's a, it, it's, it's a, it involves a, a, ser- a series of considerable policy shifts, mm. doesn't it? 
As well, the say, incentives, you made the incentives different on yes. schools. You couldn't be good or outstanding unless you were taking a representative sample of yeah. your local kids. I think that would be quite a simple way to deal with it. But don't you think then that the but schools... But that's that, anti-aspirational well, parents. Well, but also I think that would attract some sort of kudos from people. Like, oh, they're outside the system because they don't, you know, because they are more selective. I don't know. I think that, that Ofsted banner thing, that Ofsted good and outstanding is really quite a powerful is symbol it, yeah. in yeah. the education system. So I think that could work. And then you could have lottery, you know, you could have lottery... I mean, some schools have lotteries, so they take Jordan from... But it is quite stunning if you look at the segregation figures and quite shocking, and that shouldn't be allowed to continue. No. So just to round things up a bit, what if you were giving Keir Starmer a report card mm. as he's about to go into a general election year, what would be the areas where he's doing well and what would be the areas where he needs to work a bit harder? Well, obviously he's done spectacularly well in terms of reforming the Labour Party and making it look like I mean I don't know anybody who doesn't think Labour's going to win well that may have problems in itself that sort of sense of most of them are in the cab- Tory cabinet yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but the, so, last, the last thing I knew nobody thought we were going to lose was the Brexit referendum of course so um, yeah that is yes, true that but is think true. about that night in 2019 I mean that was bleak beyond belief yeah, wasn't it yeah, really yeah. that sense that a could Labour ever point, come back yeah. from that and now it's on the brink of coming back from that now that is a lot to do with the Tories being so unspeakably bad I mean last week how they got that so badly wrong I just can't it takes quite a lot of skill you yeah know, they had such an ingenuity. opportunity there didn't they but yeah. I mean, every, it was just horrific I they am got the everything change. wrong <laughs> everything wrong no you're not <laughs> everything went wrong and yeah. the conspiracy theories and HS2 it's just awful um, so I don't think they can do it really but so I think that in that sense yeah very good but I think and I can understand the thing about not having much policy. And T- Alistair always reminds me that, you know, in 96, did Labour have many policies? Not really. For the three people who don't know, that's Alistair yeah, Campbell, yeah. who is your partner. I keep looking term. back yeah, to yeah. see they didn't really have many specific policies. But I think they knew what they wanted to do. I think Blunkett had a pretty clear idea of what he wanted to do when he became educated. Yes, the direction of travel was, was very yeah. clear. And it was very clearly Standards, bri- not structures. Bri- briefed as well. That yeah. You knew. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing I keep going back to is that remembering that period and the energy mm. coming out of you know Gordon's office Tony's mm. office yeah. you know new labor thinkers mm. it was a milieu it was amazing it was it kind of hit mm. you when you walked in i don't get that no. from this team at no, all no i agree with that i agree with that um i mean i think they were very hungry they've yes. been in opposition for a long time and people underestimate that how formative those kinnock years were, were yeah. for all those people who were in the shadow cabinet i mean they were but they were very good at churning stuff out all the time. They're always looking for stories. They're always thinking, thinking, thinking. I don't see that now. It all feels a bit kind of like it's a different type of person that's going into politics, I think, as well. Well, the two that remind me of that era in a kind of micro way are Wes Streeting mm. and Peter Kyle, who yeah, are very yeah, much exactly. a, you know, a, a yeah. unit and they, they operate together in mm. a way that Blair and Brown did then. Mm. Um, but they're not leading the party. You know? No, but I, I think, yeah, so it remains to be seen. I mean, I think you could get, easily get submerged quite quickly between people's expectations and your lack of ability to do much about it. And then you get things like, you know, the rat crisis and something like that engulfs the government very, very quickly, yeah. doesn't it? And, yeah. and also the other thing I was thinking the other day, I just really wonder about the quality and the number of civil servants who are left. I mean, I don't know, but I think when Labour came in, there was a fully functioning civil service. There was. I'm not sure that's the case now. So they're going to be quite dependent on the people who actually get things done. Well, the trouble is, you know, the the incentive to hang around when you've got people like Dominic Raab talking about activist civil servants with impunity, it it gets smaller and smaller and they can't fight back. Mm. But you need them to be able to, to, to enforce. Absolutely. To, I mean, they're, they're crucial. Implement but, and, stuff. you know, Rishi Sunak talks in his conference speech about the permanent state. Well, that's mm. as close to the deep state as you can get. Yeah, I know. 
I know. So I, I, that, I, I worry about all those things and whether they... I could see them getting engulfed quite quickly with stuff and not really anticipating it. I mean, I don't think anybody knew in 97 what it was going to be like moving into government, but I think actually they handled it amazingly well, had some fantastic people around them. And, and, and Tony just had this incredible drive and energy and determination to do certain things. He's your MP, isn't he, Kay? Is he? Uh, he is at the moment, but he won't be after the election. But do you ever bump into him in the street? Yeah. What do yeah. you say to him? Well, hello. You know, we talk about this and that. And I, yeah, I see Vic quite a lot. She was, is he a nice guy? What are yeah, you, he's a really yeah. nice guy. I like yeah. him a lot. Sincere? Yeah, he's a very nice guy. They're both lovely people. Yeah, yeah. Are lovely you a member people. of the party? No. No. Were you? Have you? Are you yeah, an ex member? Yeah. Yeah, I you, But I don't feel particularly drawn to going back. And I, I try and analyse why that is. I think one reason is that I'm unresolved about Brexit, I'm afraid. Yeah. And yeah. I know quite a lot of people are still very unhappy about that. For sure. And I. I quite like not being a party member because I can come on things like this and I don't have to worry about retweeting something and being kicked out of the Labour Party, which <laughs> yes. seems to be a ridiculous development. No, but, but it's a... <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. A, it's a jeopardy you could do without. Yeah. Why yeah. Why shouldn't... Why can't I be... You know, I don't want to feel I can't say what I think because yes. somebody from high command is going to come down and say we're reporting you to some committee about... <laughs> Well, I hope you come on and say what you think Please. in future yeah. again. It was great. Okay, well, I look Fiona. forward to it. It'd be fun Thank when Labour gets into power, won't it? It, w- it? Well, we definitely must do it on the other side, yeah. Absolutely. One yeah. side of the bridge, if not before. Fiona yeah. Millet, thank you very thank much you very indeed. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Fiona. And that's it for today's show. Uh, get your questions in and any feedback you might have to the two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, at tnepublishing.co.uk. That's two mats at tnepublishing.co.uk. And a reminder, our special deal, head to the neweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats for a superb deal on a new European subscription. And there's a link in the show notes. Thank you as ever to our producer, the third Matt, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. And until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye.